We take up our Bibles at this time and turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be considering the truth of the keys of the kingdom this morning. And the Heidelberg Catechism is that which we would have as a help for us in the understanding of the truth of Matthew 16, which expressly refers to the keys of the kingdom that are given to the church. And in anticipation of our reading through the catechism there to help us, uh, you can turn to page 42 in the back of your Psalter hymnals and find Lord's Day 31, a significant Lord's Day, the last Lord's Day on deliverance just before we consider this section on gratitude. But first of all, let's focus our intention, as always, to Matthew 16, the Word of God, and we want to consider the giving of the keys in the context. Matthew 16, a very important context here to interpret why Jesus is saying at this time, I give you the keys. Verses 13 through 20 is what we would read. This word of God here from heaven to our earth and to our hearts, truth. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. That's as far as we'll read in this context of the giving of the keys, and we focus again on Jesus' words, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I want to consider this word of God in the light of the entire word of God as we go through the doctrines that are the fundamentals of the doctrines of, of the gospel. And so to help us, we have this catechism, and uh, we dare not ignore these things. We don't say this is the word of God, but we don't want to ignore truths that have been led by the Spirit, they've led the church into, and so we have this Reformed Creed, Lord's Day 31, and questions like this, what are the keys of the kingdom? This is how we learn things. We ask a question, and then we, we give this answer. And the keys are these two, the preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline toward repentance. Both preaching and discipline open the kingdom of heaven to believers and close it to unbelievers. And then the two keys, how does preaching the gospel open and close the kingdom of heaven? 
According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened by proclaiming and publicly declaring to each and every believer that as often as he accepts or embraces the gospel promise in true faith, God, because of what Christ has done, truly forgives all his sins. The kingdom of heaven is closed, however, by proclaiming and publicly declaring to unbelievers and hypocrites that as long as they do not repent, the anger of God and eternal condemnation rest on them. God's judgment, both in this life and in the life to come, is based on this gospel testimony. And then question 85, how is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by Christian discipline? According to the command of Christ, if anyone, though called a Christian, professes unchristian teachings or lives an unchristian life, if after repeated brotherly counsel he refuses to abandon his errors and wickedness, and if after being reported to the church, that is, to its officers, he fails to respond also to their admonition, such a one the officers exclude from the Christian fellowship by withholding the sacraments from him, and God himself excludes him from the kingdom of Christ. Such a person, when he promises and demonstrates genuine reformed, is received again as a member of Christ and of his church. And so we have that expression of truth, the truth of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And again, as I said, we want to consider the, 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 the context here where Jesus asks a crucial question in Matthew 16 and verse 13. He asks the question, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am, and then doesn't accept the answer they give, which skirts their own personal answer. They're, they say, first of all, the disciples, some are saying John the Baptist. Others are saying that you, Jesus, are Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But Jesus wants his disciples to express what they think of him. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter, bold and brash Peter, representing all of the disciples really and what they believe, except for Judas, he answers and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now it's in that context, they're successfully identifying Jesus as the Messiah and as God, their savior, that Jesus says, now I'm going to give you authority, authority that will hold in heaven because in the name of God, you're going to do something, you apostles and then the church through you and after you. You're going to exercise keys of the kingdom of heaven. I give them to you. I give them to you, these precious keys, like keys on a chain, children, that open doors and shut doors keys, mysterious keys of the kingdom of heaven. I give you them. And so Jesus says at this time as well, and such is the power, the power to lock up what God locks up and to, to exclude from his kingdom what God excludes. Such is the power that the gates of hell itself will not be able to prevail against you as you're exercising these keys on my behalf. Oh, beloved, this is a, a, a striking 
uh, message of Jesus to the disciples not only, but to the church. And sadly, much of the church has lost her keys, lost the keys of the kingdom, the very expression of the authority of Christ in her midst. And it's a sad thing. Others are misusing the keys, maybe excluding those who belong in or including those who don't belong in to the kingdom of heaven. And it's a veritable mess. A keyless church is a Christless church because Christ says that this authority is something he gives and which he will use to exercise the will of God in, the, in, in, in heaven and on earth. It's so important. In fact, the catechism reminds us that this is part, Lord say 31, and the keys of the kingdom is part of the deliverance of God. There's three parts of the catechism, as there was in the Reformation, three parts. The part of sin is discussed first, and then salvation, and then thankfulness, the thankful life, or sin and deliverance and thankfulness. Well, look at Lord's Day 31. In the Heidelberg Catechism, it's under the part of deliverance. In other words, essential to the deliverance of Christ himself and God in Christ revealed is the churches exercising the keys of the kingdom. Church is not an afterthought of God, but a, a vital instrument for the salvation of many, but also for the hardening and damnation of the wicked. It's that vital, that powerful, that almighty powerful in the name of God. And so we want to consider for our blessing, not our cursing, but the blessing of many, this truth of the keys of the kingdom. And we want to consider the idea of those king keys, secondly, the use of them, and finally, the blessing that uh, occurs through our right use of them. What is amazing is that <clears throat> Jesus gives keys to the kingdom of heaven. He says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And what's amazing about this is that, as Revelation reminds us, Jesus has the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So what's he doing in Matthew? Uh, what he says uh, are rightly his keys in Revelation chapter 1. For example, he's, or he says there, Do not be afraid, I'm the first and the last, verse 17. And then this, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades. Same word in our text of, of the realm of the dead, but also of the devil. And he has, he's the one who has this power over death until Jesus, um, till Jesus destroys the devil. I have the keys of Hades and of death. Well, now in Matthew, he's saying... I give you the keys of Hades and of death, and I give you the keys even of the kingdom of heaven. How can it be as well that Jesus does this, gives these keys, when to him alone all authority and power are given at his exaltation, as we read in Matthew 28? In other words, how can we be doing something that it seems Jesus alone does 
and has the prerogative, the right to do. He has the keys. He's the only Savior, the only Deliverer. But now he says something to the church of all ages. You have something. Uh, You have some part in this deliverance that I'm going to effect through you. That is amazing. The little churches, through big churches, through true churches, there's this power and authority that's given in the name of God. And that's how it goes, of course. To the church is not given the place of the Savior, but to the church is given a place in the Savior's saving and delivering so that she's instrumental. And this is often lost upon the church, as we'll see in our second point, and to the peril of the church's very existence as a true church. We need to see here Jesus and his instrumentality, Jesus and his his means that he gives, and that's the means of grace that we've been seeing and the means of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What the church opens, people believing, letting people into the church, Jesus opens in heaven. They have a place in heaven. What the church does in exercising the keys upon the wicked and excluding them from church is what God does and approves of in heaven. They are excluded from heaven. This is the place, beloved, of salvation and damnation. This is how this works. And the church must receive this responsibility and be glad even for this authority. For in the church, as in no other place, this authority is revealed and is exercised and comes to pass. It's an amazing entrustment. And in fact, it's something that occurs not only with regard to the church in the world, so that maybe unbelievers are excluded from the fellowship of God because they they don't want to be converted, But it's also something that is exercised within the church. In this holy church, which is not holy in itself, but by the grace and truth of God, there is a a discipling, a preaching, and a discipline that goes on so that members who maybe are members by baptism, who do not show that they're receiving Christ, are themselves admonished and then uh, God forbid they're, they're excommunicated or erased, their baptism is erased because they refuse to accept the responsibilities of being a Christian and to be wholeheartedly all in to the utmost a Christian. Oh, beloved, this is amazing and this is why the church is the place to be because here God has said, I am in the midst Two and three of you gathered together, I am in the midst, and the kingdom comes. You need to understand that. This is the kingdom of God and of heaven, Jesus says. That means it's a spiritual place, a spiritual kingdom. It's not like the kingdoms of this world. It's not like the kingdom of Pharaoh in Egypt and of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It's not like the kingdom of man that's represented in all of the authorities that be. 
whether presidents, prime ministers, or shahs of Iran, this is the kingdom of heaven. It comes not with observation. You can't see it, but you have to believe it. And it is not of this world, Jesus says in John 18, 36. Otherwise, his soldiers would fight, his disciples would fight with a sword. But it's the spiritual rule of God over his people. That's why there's the keys that are keys of administering grace and also of, of the hardening of sinners. In John chapter 20, we're, we're told of the spiritual nature of this binding and loosing of the, the doors of the kingdom, as it were, when the disciples, John and Peter, are said at the resurrection of Jesus, who says, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. At that time, Jesus breathes on them, John 20, verse 22, and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, there is an illusion to what Jesus is saying in Matthew 16 about the binding and the loosing of the kingdom. It's about forgiveness. And my point is that this points to the spiritual nature of the kingdom itself that is entered into or excluded from in this idea of forgiveness or the retention of sins of those who refuse to repent. It's not you have your card and you're, you're recommended by somebody, and now you get in. That's not what the church is about. It's not we, uh, you, you do something that goes against the cronies of the church, maybe the elders, God forbid that it would ever happen, and we have our way of looking at things, and it's not biblical, and no, you, you don't belong with us because it's just not the way we do things. Without any regard to what the Bible says at all, that's not how it is. It's a spiritual kingdom and a spiritual rule of Christ with the Bible, the Word of God, in the light of the truth of the Bible into which the Holy Spirit has led the church. And that's why there's creeds. They're not to take the place of the Bible, but they're to help us to understand the whole truth of the Bible, not just one particular passage, but all of it together. That's called doctrine. Well, this is... Uh, speaking of the spiritual name uh, or nature of this kingdom. And these keys, Christ has himself, and now he gives it to the church. And I do want to say just a few things about this power before we uh, speak of the use of it. And the first is that it's, it's amazing. It's, it's a great power. It's a real declarative power as as uh, Jesus would have us remember. In his name, when people believe and they confess their faith and they truly show that they're Christians, in his name, the church declares to them, you are right with God in heaven. It's not that the church and the exercise of the keys and the preaching and the sacraments and the discipline and so on actually confers things, gives things, imparts salvation, for example, to people. But what the church is doing is basically beholding God at work through his word and preaching and ministry and discipline. We're beholding what God is doing. And so when we come to your houses, when we come to the church and preach and all of this, 
we declare what God does, what God blesses, and we declare to those who refuse to listen to God that they have no place in the kingdom of heaven as long as they are unrepentant. We're simply doing what God does. Rome says no. They say this is a conferring of blessing that the church gives. There's an impartation of blessing, an actual not only pronouncement, of, but a giving of blessing by the priest on the behalf of Christ and so on in the blessing. And that is too much, but the declaration is real. The truth of what God says, the judge says, is real. About this uh, power, I, I say again, it is the greatest power in the world. Beloved, when rockets are launched in Ukraine or Russia or wherever else they were in World War II and so on, it's amazing the power of one of those guns, of modern equipment. And we're going with my children to... See a battleship. Uh, men and boys are into that, but sometimes ladies and girls. But you see that power, power of this this one gun and this one ship, and to launch a you know 150 pound shell, 23 miles, and and actually hit the target. It's just amazing the power. You see the power of nuclear weaponry and so on, and it's just amazing. And kingdoms fall, and kingdoms are defended by these guns and these thick walls, and, and limousines of presidents called the beast are those that can protect from ammo and bazookas and all of that. But beloved, there's one power of God over the souls of men. It's the word of God. So you take a city by all your guns and all your armies, million men armies. God takes a city by one word. God commands attention and converts souls by the word of God. The power of the truth as it is in Jesus. The gospel of the cross. The gospel of the resurrection which we declare to you now, as believed, is to you salvation and deliverance from sin. Isn't that beautiful? And so none of the elements of war and defense can give peace, but God can and does through his word. But God also commands war, beloved. Wherever there is the peace that God makes, that Jesus gives in peace, he says, I leave with you not as the world gives you. There's going to be a battle. People are going to resist it. We're going to resist it naturally. But in the midst of the battle, there's the ones who are God's chosen ones who are called out of the world. At the same time, there's others who say, no, it's too much for me. I counted the cost and following Jesus isn't enough. Giving up my time and my leisure and my things, it's not enough. Giving up my friends, it's not enough. I won't be liked anymore. And at that time, there's this declaration, then you're not worthy of Christ. 
He wants your all. He wants everything about you and me or nothing. Everything or nothing. What shall it be? So this is this great power, but again, spiritual. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not earthly, not like bazookas and M15s and all of that, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The strongholds, the citadels of the mind, the thoughts of people that wage war against God. Beloved, do not underestimate the power of thinking and thoughts that you might be thinking. So often we think and we, as, as we're thinking, we're thinking and we're digging a hole. Isn't that amazing? With our thoughts, we, it's like a shovel. We dig and we dig and we dig and we dig a hole. And it's called the hole of prejudice and bias. The mass of men are seething masses of prejudices. We all have our bias. And the bias is that which is centered on me. And your bias is centered on you. And it's against truth, which is not dependent on you and your opinion or anybody's opinion. It just is. God is. And truth is. And Jesus is. And so you want to argue? Don't find yourself arguing with God because you're so biased and so on. Well, here's what I'm trying to say. Ideas are important and thoughts are important. Philosophy rules the world, the philosopher says, even though we know God rules the world. But in a very real sense, the prince of this world rules through the the bad thinking of people or the unthinking of people. The emotional Christian who hasn't had a thought in years or anything to think about from the pulpit in years. Think. God says, doesn't he? Let my people think or go. Which one is it? Maybe both. So your minds are transformed by the renewing of the Holy Ghost and not conformed to the culture of the world and the thinking of the world. This is the spiritual nature, God's way of establishing his rule. Besides that, though, we need to know, and elders, you need to know this. The power given to the church through you and through, through uh, the pastor and so on is ministerial. It's to serve. It's not self-serving. And We come with the word of God, and that's all we can do, and that's all we must do, and that's what we delight to do. We come with what God says is his will. We seek to apply it, however weakly, to every member of the congregation and forgive us when we fail to understand and are sensitive to your needs and so on. Bear long with us. But our heart is right. We seek, we're motivated by love for you and love for God and love for the whole and love for each individual. This is what God shows through us. And we're only servants. Key powers is for Jesus. And this is what is so important to remember here. I'm I'm, I'm talking about the use of the keys here too. The first and second points are being mingled. Jesus says, I give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And what he's saying there is, I give you the keys on my behalf. I want you to serve me 
Peter, apostles, church, I want you to serve me. Not self-serve. Not serve maybe the growth of your church and numbers and so on. But I want you to serve me spiritually. And so we think of the, 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 the key powers of the church as the ecclesiastical. That's another thing. This is found in the church to the world is not given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. To the president is not given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. They're not even given the full gospel light. They're not given the Holy Spirit to exercise and to discern true righteousness. But God's people are. In this place in the church, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Ecclesiastical. But it's certainly as well controversial. The church's power has been often abused. People are lording it over the heritage of God, adding to the word. Maybe their requirements for truly being Christian, truly being reformed and biblical, they'll throw that at you. Or authorities are abusing or by, by disuse. And so you have all of this controversy or just neglect of the keys of the kingdom. But that leads to to this, Matthew 16, and also May 22nd, 2022, our use of the kingdom, of the keys. Here's what I want to say to you and impress upon you, God helping me, that the main thing to remember, as in all things, but also in the use of the keys of the kingdom, is who Jesus is. If we don't remember who Jesus is, the use of the kingdom keys is all about maybe policies or perfunctoriness, that's habit, formality, or with this false sense of piety and power. If we forget who Jesus is, Forget these keys. Don't dare to use these keys. But remember who Jesus is. Then use the keys on his behalf. Who's Jesus? And I mean, what is the theology of Jesus? Who is he? Well, Peter says this, and it was revealed from heaven. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are Messiah, whom Daniel says is the Son of Man. Who do I, uh, who, who do uh, those, uh, what do those say that I, the Son of Man, am? That's who the Christ is, the Son of Man, the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the seed of man, but the Son of God, the Son of the living God too. God in the flesh. The Savior, the Christ. That means the anointed one. The only one. The only way to heaven. The one come down and now has gone up. The one gone to hell and that's why hell is defeated. Because he rose again. And he is our justification, our righteousness through him alone is the forgiveness of sins. I say we need to remember Jesus. Now it's so easy, isn't it? So simple. That's what I mean. Not easy. Maybe 
but simple. There's no special elite band of elders, for example, that knows Jesus, and they only know Jesus. There's no elders who come to you, and we go from house to house, and it is a delight, by the way. But we don't come and say, now here's what we know, and you don't. We come, and we know Jesus together. And we know him together because... He's the Savior of sinners together, and that's what we all are. And we are by nature outside of the kingdom of heaven. We're in the world, but we're by nature children of wrath, even as the others. And by grace alone, we've been brought into the kingdom, and we're kept there. Remember Jesus, and you won't be so big, and your God won't be so small. And you understand the significance of who you are and your place in the kingdom. And I will. We'll all do this together. Because the Holy Spirit together teaches us. And we need not, from that point of view, that any man teach us. We know. We know. And yet we need to know more. So that's why the, the keys of the kingdom are exercised in preaching and discipline. and Bringing us closer and closer to Jesus. And admonishing those who are beside themselves and against God. The Lord wants us truly to dwell on this today. This question that comes to each of us. The first question, what are, what are people saying of me? What do the theologians say of me? What's written down? What's in the creeds and all this? What's in the Bible, even? What's the Bible say about me? Well, people were coming to the wrong conclusions, Elijah, Jeremiah, and so on. But then he says, what do you say about me? And that makes all the difference when the, the, the question comes to home. And this is what we're being asked now of God. What do you think of me? What do you think of my son? And I'm about to give you this amazing delivering of sinners' power it's amazing of making holy the church power. And you've got to get this right. He's just been combating the little faith of the disciples. Verse 8, oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you brought no bread and so on? And he then urges them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees, the legalists and the liberals. And he's speaking to people, commanding them uh, the truth of himself and telling them about the keys of the kingdom. And then from this time forward, he shows that he has to suffer many things. Verse 21, from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And then there's this Peter, the same one who made this great confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter who says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. He didn't get it. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, but no, not that kind of Christ that has to suffer and die. And Jesus says to Peter, not infallible, sinful Peter, Peter, 
Peter is not infallible. Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Then he goes on to say that if you're going to be real disciples of mine, and if this church is going to be this place where the keys of the kingdom are used and exercised, then you've got to know it's about the suffering of Jesus and the glory that follows and only follows after the suffering, the substitutionary death, the blood shed for sinners. And then the resurrection and the glory that is shaped by his suffering. A spiritual glory in which only will be manifest fully when he comes at the end of time. Use of the keys of the kingdom. Beloved, a lot of the problem nowadays or the central problem, the misuse of the keys or the lack of the use is not understanding Jesus. That's the problem. Or it's misunderstanding Jesus, misunderstanding his kingdom, even. So we would expand the kingdom of heaven beyond the church. There's real problems with this. So we'd make it the whole world in the name of saying, yes, of course, Jesus is king over everything. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, doesn't he? Jesus has been given all power in heaven and earth. That's true. But he's speaking of the kingdom of heaven here. Not just the kingdom of power and of sovereignty, but of grace and of forgiveness and where sinners are cast out. But to remember that in all of our mingling with the world and seeking to be salt and light, remember the kingdom of heaven is spiritual. And it comes by the means that God gives. And yes, indeed, in a way, the kingdom comes through, through politics and through culture, but it also comes through evil as well there. God works his will in the armies of men and of angels, and he accomplishes it. But here alone, there's this forgiveness. Here alone is where Hades may try to get at us, but it cannot. There is no commingling of world and church together here. There's this kingdom that's secure behind the walls of the arms and truth of God, and the gates of hell do not prevail. So Jesus is not talking here about a kingdom that comes through maybe the Christianizing of the world, making it a better place, and so on. He's talking about making Christians here. Holy people, not half holy, half hearted, half righteous. No, the kingdom here is the kingdom of the righteous Christ, the righteous God. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and here's his kingdom. And, and the church then ought to be aware to build on that foundation of Christ, his blood, his resurrection, his truth, and not go past the foundation to make a kingdom of this world that's foundationless. Indeed, we're salt and light. We are concerned about social issues, and we must be. We don't have our heads in the sand. 
We are not unconcerned about the world. We want that good things be done in this world. We want to be a part of that as much as we can. But let's remember, Jesus is focusing here on what we should focus, the coming of the kingdom of heaven in the church of Christ and through the church of Christ. Finally, I just want to say this is a matter of life and death. This age is a tale of a church that's lost its keys. It's a tale of the apostasy. It's sad to see in institutions that are run by denominations like colleges and universities, for example, that the churches, having lost its awareness of what the kingdom really is, infiltrates the ranks of the students. They get a BA, they get a BS, they get a BA, master's in education or, or engineering and so on. And they're not given any spiritual direction or it's misdirection and a bad way that they're going. Not focused on the kingdom and not focused on what God is truly focused on. And it's a cheapening, therefore, of this Lord, who is Jesus, who dies and who rises and who's coming again to take his own into heaven. It's a cheapening of the threat of hell. And it's a misunderstanding of the prophet of this whole world. Jesus will go on and say this. What does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? What does it profit the church? If she gains for itself something, some influence maybe, but loses its identity as a thing that's to stand out of the world, to call the world to repentance, not just let's get something done together. That's a real problem. Get something done together with with other people who are not even Christians. Okay, that's one thing. And we can do that as citizens of the land. But we're called to call the world to repent of sin. And not to be satisfied with a policy that may establish some peace and some form of righteousness on the earth, but to go on and to be those who are concerned first of all for the soul of people and the soul of a society in a heart for God. Where the church really, really and truly uses the keys, beloved, there you have heaven. That's the blessing. There you have heaven. Where we join a church, we submit ourselves to God and and we're glad that we can do this. We're those who are part of that wonderful, secure thing called the Church of Jesus Christ against which the gates of hell will not prevail. And we are made at peace with God and one another and we know the power personally. And where 
the church exercises her keys, there is a holy people. Might not be as big as the church down the road, which policy is tolerance, but here's a holy people and who is happy in the way of holiness. Beloved, use the keys. They're given to you. They're given to apostles. They're given to pastors and teachers. They're given to the church of Christ so that we may glorify the Christ of the church. Amen. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us and keep us, make us to know your face shining upon us, and Lord, exercise your keys through us. We are weak, but you are strong. We are the people of God who need your protection. We need your working through us in Christian discipline and in the preaching of the gospel. In your declaring to us what is right, what is wrong, and who is right and who is wrong. And we pray, Lord, to listen to you. We pray to be glad and happy that you are the God who continues to work in our midst and in the midst of all the world through your true church. Cause your kingdom to come, Lord, through the opening of the kingdom to believers and the shutting of it to unbelievers, where there's those who've been excommunicated by the church even. We pray, Father, for their repentance. You would bring them back that the grace of God would be all the more magnified. You're the God very long-suffering with us. You are the God who, if it was only about justice, would have rejected us long ago. But you're the God of all grace. And Jesus we know, and him we love. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. All praises be to you for Jesus' sake. Amen.